Welcome back to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. This is episode number 178. Um, this is going to be our third conversation with Candace Burt. And I got to say, first of all, I absolutely love having her on the show. She is incredible. Um, she puts together, if you don't know who she is, she uh, manages and has created Destination Trail, which is a race company that puts on the triple crown of 200s. That is three 200-mile races um, three months in a row. So there's the Bigfoot 200 in Washington, there's the Tahoe 200, and uh, there's the Moab 240. Because apparently 200 miles wasn't enough, you have to add the extra 40 miles there. Um, And we've had Candace on the show a couple other times, uh, episode number... 37 and 78 and those are excellent ones too so if you like this one go back and check those out but for me personally and maybe it's recency bias but uh i thought this was the best one yet um and here's why we really go into like the strategies that candace has seen um racers apply to their 200 mile races i mean if you think about it she has seen more people complete these more people in the middle of them um, than anyone else in the whole entire world. Uh, and not only that, but last year she flew to Australia to compete in a 200 mile race and won the whole entire thing. So she obviously took those lessons that she learned from her own races and applied them, uh, to her as an athlete, uh, which is super cool. Um, so we get into that. We talk about, uh, why people, like what are the common reasons people DNF, and then we just dive into uh, the weird the weirdness of 200 miles, right? So we talk about what happens to people when they are pushing their bodies over days and days uh, in these ultra ultra endurance events, and more specifically, she's had to learn a lot about um, what happens to to the brain in sleep deprivation. Um, and how people experience hallucinations and and things like that and she has some like excellent advice so if you're signed up for one of the 200s and it'll be your first one like like take everything she says and use it and apply it because I mean like I said there's no one more knowledgeable about this uh, than Candace so um, super cool and then as always and like I think this is why I just enjoy having her on the podcast so much she just has such a wonderful mindset for adventure. Um, but then she just has she just has awesome stories, you know. She not only does she uh organize races, but she also competes and she's like a high-level athlete. So she competes in in other events around the world. She tries to set FKTs, uh, she'll just go out on on trails for days and days. Um you know, we talk about her uh, 170 mile Tahoe Rim Trail run, um, and and the stories that she tells from that are intense, but uh, just like kind of like it kind of embodies everything I've wanted to share with the world with starting this podcast because I know for me, like I love hearing these adventure stories every week. It's kind of like a selfish reason to do the podcast because I just get to talk to these amazing people and hear their stories and. And some of the stories I hear just leave me with my like 
jaw hanging open and put me at the edge of my seats and and candace definitely has some stories like that today so uh yeah guys let's get into it like i said she's been on the show a couple other times so um and i would recommend if this is your first time listening go back check out our uh catalog of guests our library i guarantee you you'll find something that interests you um we talk to all people all sorts of people in um, various types of adventures. Last week we had on a world bikepacking champion and uh, that was awesome, super fun conversation there too. But we've talked to talked to all sorts of different people, a bunch of ultra runners, but also, um, you know, like people who have paddled by hand from Alaska to Mexico on longboards and, and people who have biked to the South Pole and, and all sorts of craziness. So, um, yeah, I'm really proud of, of what we've been able to put together uh, on the Like a Bigfoot podcast so far. So, all right, guys, let's get into it. Uh, this is Like a Bigfoot podcast number 178 with Candace Burt. Well, I guess let's start with this. <laughs> As someone who also feels almost overwhelmingly busy all the time, like when you go out for your own run, how do you kind of let, do you let everything go? Or is that a time you actually are thinking about organizing and planning the day? Or are you able to just kind of like, just let it go and, and kind of relax into it? Um, I, I think that it varies depending on the season. Um, I have runs where if it's our busy work season that um, I'm, making phone calls and answering calls and like sometimes I'm basically on call and so I have to respond like uh, during a 200 or the the few the like the two weeks leading up to one we are so busy and there's so much essential things that are time sensitive that um that I just have to so I would say that my runs are affected by work a lot um so there what I learned is there's certain times of the year where I can really focus on my racing because racing is important and being competitive. I run for Ultra um, and a bunch of other companies, and so I have those contracts with them, you know, that I'm going to be competitive. Um, and it is just important to me. Like, I like to push myself like that. So for me, um, some, some more of the off-season is, like, um, November, December, January, and into the spring a little bit. And by off-season, I'm still working a lot, but... Um, there's not usually stuff that I have to take into my run with me. So I can go out um, and very mindfully just um, listen to music or um, or just, you know, the sound of the snow falling <laughs> as it does this time of year. So I try, I just do what I have to do, I would say. Um, but I think that if people want to maximize uh, their potential with running, that you really do have to give running um, – it, your full attention. You can't be out there doing a bunch of um, social media and, um, you know, taking phone calls <laughs> if you really, truly want to be um, furthering your body intentionally with that training. Some training runs, it's just an easy day. Who cares? But um, I guess I mean that those key workouts, you really have to focus. Yeah. Um, but I do, um, I do yoga almost every day. 
And um, the thing I love about that is you get in a room, you know, with a bunch of other people. Uh, your phone's not in there. You're just following instructions and doing. And it's so beautiful to just let go like that. Um, so that is one place where – and then I come out and I look at my phone. I'm like, oh. <laughs> I've done that. I've done – I've, like, come from a yoga class. And I felt so good and, like, so zen. And I'm in my yeah. car and, and I have this like in, internal conversation with myself where I'm like, do I look at my phone or do I wait? <laughs> and then you look at your phone and you're like, yeah. ah, there it goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had a, I rent out um, a little apartment that's on my property and I had some people staying there. I get out of yoga class. And I look at my phone, and it's like somebody's trying to break into the apartment. It's my guests who are staying over there. I'm like, what? And I'm looking at there's this whole line of messages. <laughs> and then I get a phone call from um, the woman who helps me keep the place clean and manage it. And she's like, I'm like, oh, no. Like, what happened with this? <laughs> and it turns out I have some guys putting a line in um, – underground and they had to go into the garage part of the shop and they were like they didn't realize anybody was staying there so they're like knocking on doors (laughs) (laughs) like bumping around and she said when she went over there like the the people were so scared they were shaking i was like oh oh no yeah so i was just like things like that i'm gone for one hour people and (laughs) you can't hold it together Oh so, my God, that's hilarious. But I think the more, um, the more you know, pots you have on the stove or the more stuff you have going, um, the more you can accomplish, but also sometimes the less you can accomplish because you're, um, you just have too much you can't, you can't manage. And I'm trying to find that balance, I think, in the last year or two, uh, partly hiring the new employee, but, um, but trying to like, separate a little bit uh, the races I'm competing at with the time of year where I'm putting on, you know, massive events that, that take weeks and weeks of being on site. Yeah. I'm, that's definitely something like for me, I just don't want to look back on this time in my life and be like, I was just busy 24 seven. Like I want to be able to have a little bit of downtime here and there, you know? Yeah. And that's a great point because I think too, um, that we use busy as um, as, a, as an excuse to not do the kind of self-care we need or sometimes spend time with friends or family. And, um, and we have to remember, like, and maybe even list out, like, what really are the priorities? Um, yeah, business is important, but at the end of the day, those people that you're serving through your business um, don't really care about you, like, in the way that... Um, that you owe to your family and your family owes to you kind of like those kind of relationships. And I think that, um, making money and and being successful or having a name at something, you know, doing great in a race. Um, yes, all these things may be important, but, um, when it comes down to it, it's like you still need to prioritize. And some days that means like, yeah, I was going to put in the key workout, but, um, my daughter got sick and I, I need to stay home and make soup, you know, yeah. and, and I didn't have the energy. That's okay. So, cause in 10 years, who cares? Like yeah. your daughter's more important. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. It's a hard, but it's a hard balance. Cause in the moment it can be, you know, hard to give up that time that we need. 
Yeah. And I have to imagine for you, not only are you running one of the more successful ultra running organizations, I have to imagine, like just the, the way the 200s have grown, even since the last time we talked and, you know, the first time we did the podcast together, like I've just seen it grow so much just in like the public consciousness. And so to do that, but then at the same time, uh, also, you know, you're also like a high level, like ultra runner, you know, like you're setting FKTs, you're competing in races. Like that is a weird balance. And I noticed looking today just at your, uh, the races and, and the events you took on last year, you do have, you've, it seems like you've figured that balance out because once the 200 season comes around like late summer, early fall, you know, you can't compete with uh, doing races then, but then earlier in the year, that's when you're kind of focusing your energy on that. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely something um, that I am at least trying to accept. I will admit, though, that I um, did not start four 100s last summer and fall, and (laughs) that's a lot of hundreds. Um, I wasn't planning to do all of them, but I, I think, you know, the way that races work now, sometimes you have to sign up for stuff um, before you know about other stuff. Um, and so I sort of, I was signed up for a few things, um, and then it just felt like too much. Like I knew for my mental health that I had to not go do that those events. Um, so I backed out of a bunch of stuff this year. And it was also knowing that my priority was um, – the Triple Crown at 200s, making sure that each of those races that we provided um, exactly what, what we said plus a lot, you know. So, like, if I had gone and raced 100, I may not have had the energy or the time to, to make sure that um, this or that was ordered on the right timeline. Like, we have so much going on, so many orders coming in, and contractors were, like, finishing up with that if – if I miss a couple days um, in that span, sometimes that means that, like, you know, your race bags aren't going to come in. And it seems, like, sort of trivial, but it's all important. Um, and I think that, like, especially for the 200s, we, we like to we, – we feel like the swag and the stuff that we give and the T-shirts and the design and all of that of the stuff is important. And um, it's something that – is a lifetime experience for people and we want to make sure that that everything is taken care of in that way that we can and that we have enough medical volunteers and the communications team is on point and so i think that 2019 was a year of like okay now you really know like do not schedule competitive events <laughs> during the 200s yeah, yeah. <laughs> just hands down and i think you know now that i have you know a couple full-time employees once both, uh, once uh, Mike McKnight is like fully trained, there may be a point where I've handed off so much that I could I could compete. But I think right now, I definitely understand, especially this year. There's going to be a lot of training involved, and so I want to be there because this is like my baby. You know, like I have to make sure that that the direction is goes toward exactly what the quality that I want um, because there's people's lives on the line. Oh yeah. 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 Well, so is it, is it kind of weird or maybe not weird, but like difficult to find races? Cause you're kind of, 
you are racing in almost like the opposite season as a lot of ultra runners. You know, like a lot of people are like, oh, I'll do a yeah. race. I'll like have a summer season or a fall. And you're kind of like, all right, I have to do spring and early summer. The, you know, there's <laughs> there's a lot of races I would love to do. Not going to happen. Um, and I'm okay with that. It's It's a sacrifice. And I think we all make that with our work and our families to some degree with events. Um, <clears throat> and so, you know, it's um, – I love the Hurt 100 in Hawaii in January, and it just works out great. You know, I'd like a few more months to train usually <laughs> because I finish up with the 200s at the end of October, and then I'm like, okay, Hurt, get ready. <laughs> um, but I, I really love that, and then – um, this will be the second year I'm going out to Australia in February to run the Delirious West 200 miler. Thank you, Sean, for creating that race because I get to go out and to Australia and, um, and run. So I've just figured out stuff that works for me. And, um, I think it's like anything. Once you set, like, this is here, here are my boundaries and this is my structure. And then I make it work. That's awesome. I do want to ask the delirious West 200 milers definitely on my, my podcast notes for today. So I got to hear about it because just the idea of the 200 mile race director (laughs) going to take on her first 200 mile, like that's, that's awesome. How many people do you (laughs) think were like, finally, she gets a taste of her own medicine. (laughs) everybody (laughs) (laughs) so many messages like i hope she suffers (laughs) (laughs) that was my feeling going in however i had a really awesome experience and i did not suffer that much um so sorry guys uh i had a good time i don't know (laughs) what you're complaining about (laughs) it was amazing i mean to me um, I think it was exactly what I needed to keep that motivation alive that I'm doing exactly what I need to be doing in life right now. Um, I'm creating adventures that I feel passionate about that are changing people's lives um, and allowing them, you know, that, that opportunity to get closer to their family. You know, family comes out, their friends, their, it, it's just a really amazing experience to see that whole thing come through and to be able to go out and have that experience myself on a course that was point to point um, in a beautiful country with, you know, I, I don't know if you've been to Australia, but the Australians are so wonderful. Like they're straight up with you and um, the accent is great. You can, some people you're just like, I don't even know what language that was. Yeah. You're like, I don't <laughs> like, know what you just said, but I'm going to nod and say yes. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> Yeah, that's always the response. It's like, they're like, um, why are you saying yes? <laughs> <laughs> no, we had, when I was growing up in uh, in my hometown, the like, some rich guy from Iowa decided he like fell in love with rugby. And so he's like, I want to have a rugby team in this small Iowa town. And we're like, okay. And he wow. just hired a whole bunch of Australians and like New Zealanders to come in and play rugby for us. And they ended up like winning the national championship a bunch of years in a row. And it was just funny, like going to the practices and you do, you're right. Like totally straightforward, get to kind of experience the culture. Um, yeah. Not yeah. just definitely rated our practices for sure. Um, with some oh, of- <laughs> that too. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. 
I, I don't know. I'm sure that not all of them are like that. Probably so not. Australians listening, you can let us know. It's probably but like a rugby yeah. thing, you know? <laughs> I don't know, though. It might be a trail running thing, too, because people would just, you know, they would just straight up talk about whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, I won't bring up any subjects, but, you know, things that, that maybe in the U.S. you wouldn't just talk about in public. <laughs> um, that was game <laughs> that's awesome so that's cool because you you also got to experience um a culture along with like the beautiful trails and like a whole different kind of new part of the world yeah and i think that um i realized how much anxiety that produces and i wasn't even going to a country you know where they where they do speak another language that's like a whole nother level when you're trying to figure out like what does that sign say um, but I did rent a car, so I got to drive on the opposite side. Um, but, you know, it's like planning everything out um, in another country where, where, you know, you really have to, you don't know what they're going to have at a grocery store, you know, or in an aid station. Like, how do they do their races? For me, that means bringing more stuff because I want to um, – I know exactly what I need, and I don't need much, but there's, like, certain things that um, that I'll bring. So, you know, I checked in a larger bag, and then I had my carry-on, and um, and they ended up losing my larger bag, um, on, and, and my flight was delayed uh, for a day in, um, in L.A. So I'm in L.A., I'm, like, a few days away from the race, and I'm like, man, this sucks. But then I get to, I think it was like Sydney, and I still have one more connection. And they're like, yeah, we lost your bag. Oh and then gosh. I'm like, wait, no, this is worse. <laughs> this is way worse. I think I had one pair of shorts, one pair of shoes. Um, like I had a little bit of clothing, but um, and I had put a few things in my carry-on. Because you know how it is. Like you always think, well, they could lose my bag. Yeah. But um, so you put a few things, but not enough. <laughs> I think I had one pair of socks. So I'm like, uh-oh. But I was um, I was really happy to see that I was able to just sort of accept it and figure out, okay, what's going to be, what's my solution here at each step of the way. So rather than getting really upset or stressed, um, I just sort of was like, well, this will be fun. Like maybe I'll just run the race. Like I'm going to let go of all that stuff. Like I don't, all I need is me, right? A pair of shoes, like my shorts, and I could always get a couple extra shirts. So I just looked at it as like, you have to do that when you're ultra running anyway, right? You're yeah. running an ultra yeah. and something goes wrong and you have to be like, you know what? I can't control this. I have to figure out a way with what I have right now. So I just went on that and I ended up getting the bag the day before the race, um, like in the afternoon, and then it was a five-hour drive to like the race meetings, um, I'm throwing my like drop bags together, you know, and my boyfriend um, was driving the car, and um, so I'm like getting my drop bags ready in the car. It was, yeah, we got to bed, I think um, it was after midnight, you know, and we we're up at like 5 a.m., so I was just like, you know what, I guess we'll just see how this goes. Yeah, and it well, fine. I, I love that. I love, that's like one of my favorite lessons from ultra running, like, expect the unexpected and you can't really stress out when the unexpected happens because if you think about it if you would have been stressed that whole time leading up to your bag 
eventually making it anyways it's like i would have just yeah. wasted all of that energy and like you know harmed myself physically through through just overstressed you know yeah exactly it's like you you can um choose how you react um or how you respond i should say because i feel like a reaction is more like what happens immediately it's like ah oh no and then okay but how am i going to respond to this um and and i think that you know the people who who do choose or the times in my life where i've chosen to take the hard path and to fight against something that you know was happening anyway um just led to more um problems so it's more i think it helps to have like the life experience of knowing and having done ultras and knowing that i never need as much as i think i'm going to need anyway so yeah. um and you know like the whole community um reached out and was like oh we can get we can get you together what you need give us a list yeah and i was just like man this is yeah of course they're doing that because this these are the kind of people um that that they are but it was really um heartening to see uh that kind of thing you know it means a lot yeah definitely well and you crushed it first of all <laughs> so <laughs> i want to hear like what went right like what um I don't know. I just, I know people tune in who are signed up for maybe their first 200 miler and they're like, how do I do this? Like, what's the strategies? And if there's anyone who has seen more, you know, different strategies applied, <laughs> probably some oh, successful yeah. and some unsuccessful, like what did you specifically do during that race uh, in order to, you know, find success? I took that same mentality um, that led up with all the things that happened. And there was a string of them, you know, that we won't go into, but like losing the bag, getting laid over. Um, I took that mentality just right up into the race. And I think that if somebody takes that flexibility um, into an ultra um, and paces themselves, um, that a finish uh, is very, very possible. There's always, like, the things that can happen that, that'll stop stop you, like a serious injury, things that you should stop for. Uh, most things you don't need to stop for, but there are those things. So those aside, since we can't control those, I think that going, having the mentality that the finish is important um, despite what you may think along the way, because there's going to be a time when you're going to, Almost always there's going to be a time when you're like, ah, I just want to, like, be done, you know, and, and I could be done. Like, it is my choice. Maybe I'll quit now. Um, or maybe you give too much energy to a little pain you're feeling that you know isn't important, but you're going to start, like, playing it up in your head. So I didn't play into any of that, and I went into the race, um, you know, like, with a, a very sharp goal of, like, I'm going to finish absolutely finish. I knew I was in good shape. Of course, it helps to go into a race in good shape, but we all have lives, and we all go into races where we know we aren't quite where we wanted to be. So we have to be really realistic. You know, me going into Delirious West, I knew that I could do really well because I was being realistic with I know I'm in good shape. There's other times when I've gone into races and I've thought, maybe I'm in good shape. No, there's no maybe. Like, you know. Like, you're either in good shape 
or you're not, or you're somewhere in between, <laughs> be realistic. Don't work yourself. Um, I mean, I think it's good to be positive, but you also, you, with ultra running, you have to be like, if you're not in the, in the shape that, that you think you should be in for it, you really have to start slow, you know? Like, I think you can push it more if you've trained properly, you know what to expect. Um, and I went into the race, I very lucky, having seen hundreds of people finish 200s. Yeah. Seen, um, so I think, you know, that helped. And I ran the first year of the Colorado 200, um, which is, you know, that race does not exist anymore. But I, I made it 175 miles in that race. So I'd pretty much done 200, but I hadn't finished. Yeah. And that was in like, ugh, I don't remember what year that was, 2015. Um, so I knew what that felt like. And I had decided um, the year before, so 2018, I had one of those, those agreements with myself that I made. I'm not quitting another race. I'm not going to start another race if I'm not ready. But once I start, I'm going to finish. Period. Unless, you know, I mean, there is that list, right? Like yeah. bones sticking out. All that. <laughs> if there's a but bone sticking out, rare. I guess I will stop. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> it's more likely. <laughs> it's a moment-to-moment decision. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've had plenty of DNFs, and, and I think that um, one thing looking back at the races that, that I DNFed is that um, I wish that I had just made a better choice before I started um, because – or I had just kept going and to see what, what would happen instead of giving up because – I wasn't winning or because, um, you know, I thought the ankle was a big deal when it probably wasn't, that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, being realistic with yourself and, and so setting your race goal based on that so that you can succeed. If you go out way too fast, you're not setting yourself up to succeed. And in 200, that's really key because um, you have so many days. And in the Delirious West 200, I had – um, I killed it for like the first 20, 30 miles. Um, what happened was a bunch of us went five miles off course right at the start. Like literally we went a hundred meters. We turned left instead of right. There's no course markings, by the way. So it, it, we knew there were no course markings, but we didn't look at a map. We just all went left. <laughs> and so, but my group went the furthest. So right from the beginning, I was like, oh, no, i got to catch everybody in the race. So I caught everybody but, like, two people by mile 20, which probably wasn't the smartest thing. But I'm in great shape, right? So I'm like, whatever. It's hot, and the heat finally hits me around mile 20-something, 30, and, and I start walking a lot. And then I have a couple groups of people pass me. Mile 50, I just feel awful. And I remember thinking, all right, I'm going to, you know what, I'm going to give up. Uh, I don't have to finish as one of the top runners. It's okay. I'm just going to let go of that because uh, my goal is to finish, right? So, of course, I want to do well, but I'm letting go of the placement. Instead of just allowing it to be open and not worrying about it, I was just like I had to, like, let go. <laughs> so, so, but then I continued on, and, and, um, and I started feeling better. So it was like, I think that in a 200, one thing for people to remember is you're going to go through those ups and downs, um, and that's the thing. Just keep going, you know, because you think maybe things are just going to only get worse, 
but you get these incredible highs and you get, um, you'll come out and there'll be this amazing beach or you'll have this interaction with, with another person that's just so meaningful or, or important, you know, you think about later. So I think that um, with 200s especially, there's just, you just got to give yourself that time and remember that, like, you have two, three more days. Like, who cares if so-and-so passed you or if you have to stop, you know, and sleep for an hour or two. Yeah. How many people, like, at the start of your races, how many people do you see go out way too hard? Like, what percentage do you think? I think that it is more common near the front, um, but I think that people are often don't listen to their bodies the whole, like from front to back of the race, um, just in their own way. You know, it may be that, that they, there's somebody right behind them. And so they're just redlining a little bit, but all that counts, you know, and you really want to feel good. Um, and so I would say that, that it's very common to see, um, it's hard to say how many are doing that in the back of the pack, but if you're getting stomach problems on the first day, like you're running too fast. Or you might have had something bad for dinner the day before, but chances are if you're not able to digest food, you're going way too fast for a three- or four-day race. Like, slow down. before When you start to feel any kind of stomach stuff like that, it's a sign that, um, that you're running too fast. And you may uh, – the other thing I see it with um, – and it's actually pretty common in 200s because people get very anxious. So anxiety adds to it. Okay. Um, but also, like, if you're pushing too hard, your digestive system will start to shut down, um, and, and then you'll feel nauseous, um, people will throw up, um, and then if you start to not be able to eat on day one, you're going to have a rough, uh, if you finish, like, it's going to be epic, and, you know, good job, like, to the, to the, that, like, that, that's a pretty cool journey, too, in its own way, um, each their own but it can i think be avoided to some degree under training um running too fast uh allowing the anxiety to take over because we're all going to feel anxiety and some of us are going to feed it though we don't want to feed the anxiety anxiety is okay it helps us like it's a part of life um and some of us like i'm a high anxiety kind of a person so i know all about feeding those fears and I think that going into it you just have to remind yourself that you've got this like you've trained um I've seen people barely train and do well so like it's okay even if you haven't trained to your best of your ability the person who wins the race hasn't trained to their best of ability either you know it's all right just like take your time and and enjoy the process um my coach David Roach would say too that um, rather than putting that kind of pressure on yourself too for any race, like of like ah, I must perform, like I've worked so hard, like this is my test. It's not your test. It's your celebration. You're out there to celebrate all this training you've done, and um, it's just one or two or three or, <laughs> in the case of my races, four or five days. <laughs> you know where where you get to celebrate. Like you don't have to prove anything to yourself. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that's like a really good mindset to have. Do you think people with the whole anxiety thing, do you think when they're out there in like the really rugged parts of the world, do you think there's anything that to be said about like they want to stay together or with another person and so they change their pace 
to just so they're like around another person? Absolutely. I mean, I have seen um, bonds form like I've never seen because you have so in a 200, you get all this time out there. Um, and I love it when people tell me the stories, too, that happen because um, and you were mentioning with desert rats, like creating these bonds because you're camping each night together and, yeah. and, and you're running. But um, but maybe more so it's the bond in a race like um, desert rats, where it's a multi-day event is created really in the hanging out time. But in a 200, there's sort of that hanging out time because for most people, you know, I mean, if you're in the very front, you, you're probably hustling. But <laughs> but most of the people who run 200, you know, it's experience. You, um, you want to do well, but that, that has a broader definition. And, um, and so we encourage people to stick together, especially when stuff starts to happen, like we've had storms come in and – Aid, we'll call aid stations and say, hey, would like encourage people to go out in groups, like in groups or in, in yeah. at least two, because it is safer. Um, and a lot of people don't have pacers. A lot of people come into the 200s crewless and pacerless. And part of the reason they like doing that, um, beyond just the like they don't have somebody to do that, a lot of times it's a choice because you get to meet more people that way. And I think it sort of opens you up um, to the broader experience with other participants just a little bit more. And so um, we encourage it. And I, I've definitely seen some really deep bonds form. Um, people coming in, you know, I can think of at Moab, I think it was two years ago, number three, two, two of those guys coming in together and they end up running together for a huge amount of it, and they were not going to leave each other. Like you create such a bond that you're um, you're sort of like warriors out there, like trying to get through the the tough times. And for people who don't do that with another racer, they may um, create an even deeper bond with their pacer. Or you know, like if your pacer is your significant other, it it could be a really bad thing <laughs> if if you have a problem in your relationship. But it could it could bring it deeper too, and and I, I love it when people uh, propose at the end of the race. It's you know like they've had such an intense experience and seen that depth of that person. You know, in a, in one case at Tahoe a couple of years ago, um, the the man who was running the race, you know, he ran with his. Um, um, girlfriend and he just realized he was like wow you know she's here for me and I think they've been together a little while but it, but it really formed for him in his head he was ready to get married <laughs> that's awesome that's yeah. you gotta they gotta step it up one more notch and be like we just met three days ago no I'm just kidding don't do that <laughs> that's a bad idea <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's like you know it could work uh, but it's like you know you don't know what their their faults are yet other than like whatever came up during the race but yeah. knowing relationships well enough i'm like oh yeah you got a lot to learn <laughs> you've only done them for three days but yeah uh what's what is night two or three you know and from your experience at delirious west but also you know from your experience directing the races what are those like that's that's when stuff uh i'll try to swear stuff starts to go down you can swear all you want <laughs> okay that's when shit starts to go down <laughs> um 
I think night number two is really fun, and night number three is even more fun because um, for me as a racer, uh, because that's when the hallucinations start to really become real and take form. And um, I mean, sometimes they're scary, uh, but I've only had the, the experience of scary hallucinations running on my own um, in a FKT setting. But um, that being said, like night two, basically 48 hours in, if you haven't slept, um, visual, you're going to have visual disturbances, at least visual disturbances, uh, up to full-on hallucinations. But the full-on hallucinations are much more common on night three. So we're talking about 70, 60, 70 some hours um, into an event. And um, this is where if people haven't slept, if you're pushing past 70, we start to worry um, about uh, basically there's a difference between having hallucinations and um, losing touch with reality. The people who are having hallucinations, that can be like a fun, like interesting thing. It can be distracting because... For me, um, having had some really intense ones in these kind of events, you want to like look at it because you, you you know you're like that's not real, but it looks completely real. So you want to like check it out. And in a race setting, that can be pretty distracting. Um, and some stuff just looks way more beautiful. And just um, I would have trees in Delirious West that were just big leafy trees, you know, spread way out in um in groups and I, I remember one set um i didn't know it at the time there was a bunch of trees but it was this beautiful palace like with these rounded tops and um i just stopped in my tracks like i, I thought there's no way there's an incredible palace out here and i just had to take it in um but then as you walk closer um to to something usually it'll change into what it actually is. So in this case, as I walk closer to the tree stand, um, it actually was like this amazing, like, and it and it just like into a into the trees. Um, but as you get further and further into no sleep, the hallucin the hallucinations won't change back. So you start to enter this new world where you can't change things back into what they actually are, and that's when it can get. A, little intense especially for people who haven't ever done drugs <laughs> so it's like for me like i've had i've been there and i've done that and i prefer to do it you know through a race um i mean like a natural i don't want to take a drug to get there yeah so um so i think that there are some people who react um where they don't um they may lose touch with who they are where they are and um and get confused, um, really confused. And so it's unusual, but uh, we'll get a few, you know, there may be one or two people uh, that will go a little past um, what I would consider safe. Um, and again, it's unusual. It doesn't happen with every race, um, but that's why we have trackers too, other than people getting, people don't usually get really lost unless they've lost touch with reality and they're having those mental issues. So I always encourage people, like, you know, if you know you're going to be out there like three or four night, nights, you really need to plan um, for sleep. And you need to sleep when you're tired and when you can. 
um, because otherwise you're, you're putting yourself in a potentially dangerous situation. Some people will never lose touch. They just don't. Um, but then other people do. So you don't know if that's going to be used, so it's best. Um, I finished Delirious West in um, 72 hours and something, and, um, and so I just didn't ever have that experience of going beyond that. Um, I hope I never do because I've seen it. Um, I've seen it in people, and that's why we have the medical team. That's why we have the trackers, yeah. just in case. I'm sure that's so, terrifying yeah. a little bit. <laughs> Just you describing it was terrifying yeah. to me. <laughs> it's terrifying. It's terrifying for, for me as an organizer. It wasn't something we ever even knew could happen. Um, so the first few times it happened, it was like, what? You know, like you don't even. So it, we've had to learn some of this stuff, you know, and, and I've learned a lot about it and what causes it. And so um, because of that, we've, uh, we've really tightened up a lot of the safety protocol and how we analyze people in the aid stations, you know, and, and we educate people about it beforehand. Um, but the people who are in it, you know, they're so delirious um, that they don't even know the kind of danger that they're in. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, again, it's very, it's very unusual, but, um, but it happens frequently enough that, that that's one thing that people should be aware of is that um, if you're if you're going to be running over 70 hours, um, you want to plan for sleep. And usually the people that have the problem, they they try to sleep and they can't. Um, and having a pacer, you know, in the last night or two is is great if you can do it. Have because it, it's or or go with somebody else or. Um, you know, if you're a runner in a race and you see somebody who who's lost touch like that, let the race officials know. You know, because we and we tell people to tell us if, if they see something um, like that, because then we can stop yeah. that person and get them to sleep. Yeah. Well, let me <laughs> ask crazy. this then. Yeah, it is. Well, so I wanted to hear a little bit, real quickly, about the Tahoe Rim Trail. That was the 170 mile trail you took on, and you're talking about you know, getting to like 70 ish hours, like three days of, of minimal sleep. And that attempt took you 72 hours. So how close were you yeah. at that point? Um, I, I don't know that I was close to fully losing touch. Um, but I had really scary hallucinations, um, in that, uh, I mean, I was just by myself almost the whole time, and I think that at night, especially, you know, the the last night, um, the sections, there's just these huge rocks, like all sorts of things that could turn into things, um, and I think that my body was more stressed because I carried everything from start to finish, so all my food, all my clothing, um, so you have a very heavy pack, whereas in a race, you're just, you're refueling, you're seeing people, um, so I had all this time on my own and I started seeing things pretty early on. Um, and then I had a huge section on, um, the last night where I had no water. Um, I would say it was probably 10 plus hours. Um, I just miscalculated it. So the, the way I was doing the route was to go for an unsupported fastest known time on the Tahoe Rim Trail. And so you can fill up in streams, um, but you can't use water from 
public sources or anything, but um, you have to know where every single stream is, basically. Yeah. And so I miscalculated it, and I had um, this massive amount of time, and then it got into my head, though, and I, I knew I would be okay, but I started to, like, worry about it. And I think that, and I was also running out of batteries. It took longer than I expected was part of the problem, and I was trying to minimize what I was carrying while having enough for safety. So I was running out of batteries. I um, was running out of calories to some degree, um, definitely calories that, that I could really eat, and then um, and I was without water for a massive amount of time. <laughs> and so it got to me, and I think that's part of why the hallucinations went into when, like seeing dead people and and like um, there were there were there was like people with masks on just standing there like super creepy and kids sitting with their backs to me on rocks you know in the middle of the night you know in the middle of nowhere wearing like robes like creepy stuff that's and, um, as someone who's terrified of scary movies as my middle like <laughs> my middle schoolers made fun of me today they're like you've never seen the Conjuring, I'm like, uh, you couldn't pay me enough money to see that. People. No, I know, me too. <laughs> I'm like, I, I already have all this stuff in my head. I don't need to see a movie. <laughs> <laughs> so I, you know, and and those things weren't going away. Um, so I would look at them, and they wouldn't go away. So the guy with the mask, I come around a corner, and you know, there's there's nobody to save me. Like, there's no going to, like, a house and be like, I saw a scary person. (laughs) Like, who is this lady? (laughs) I have to keep walking and tell myself, it's not real, it's not real, you know. But this this person turns around and looks at me, and he has this mask on, and I'm in the middle of nowhere, and I am just like, I'm going crazy. Like, I I was just like, oh, my God. And I had to keep walking. I had to hold it together because it was – you know, and I think there is something to be said for when it is just you and you have to hold it together. Yeah. <laughs> Step up. <laughs> well, and like no aid stations, you know, no nope. med crew out there. Like, I, I wonder if that just added to the intensity of the experience. Absolutely. And navigating and um, all that kind of stuff. And then worrying about time, too, you know, because you're I'm trying to hit a time. Um and, and I just decided, yeah, and I think part of the mental side did get to me because I decided that I was too slow to even uh, announce, like, my time wasn't good enough. I wasn't going to, you know, I wasn't going to post it or whatever. And then later I look back and I'm like, you know, 72 hours for unsupported is pretty good. It's pretty good, <laughs> but, yeah. But it was way off the goal that I'd had, and, and that just played over in my head to the point where I was just like, nope, it's not, I'm not going to, it was an, ex- an amazing experience and that's all it needs to be. Yeah. So I'll go back. Oh, I wanted to go back so bad, like early December and then it snowed. I was all like, I'm going back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, what, I guess, you know, over the last decade, I just, it seems like you're, uh, I don't know, like some people run a 50K and they get hooked on ultras and they run more 50Ks and stuff. But it seems like you got ultra hooked on ultras, you know what I mean? And you you like <laughs> yeah. kind of uh, leveled up. But what what are your thoughts on like what adventure has brought to your life to kind of like wrap wrap up the podcast? 
what what has adventure brought to my life? Yeah. I think for me, it's given me a focus that um, still allows me to be um, the best person that that I am. Um, so, like being um, being an alcoholic, you know, and being so somebody who has learned about myself that I can't drink um, because I'm just not able to drink in in a way that some people can, you know, people who drink normally. So having, like, that extreme side of myself, I, I, I've learned that I need, um, I need these goals and I need these adventures um, to focus on, to use that kind of energy that I have. And, um, and I think that it's so hard to put into words, um, but I've always, I think that we're either born with that need Maybe everybody is to some degree, but I would say that ultra runners, trail runners in general, maybe not even ultra runners, we are wired from the start to to just um, get something deeper from that pushing and that exploration. You know, it's just another way, I think, of learning about ourselves in the world. Um, and, there, you know, it's interesting because, yeah, it's just you're just – moving out on the trail you could put it that way but I I think that it's more than that like I think that as we heal those parts of ourselves we heal the world you know we it's a big it's bigger than just us even though a lot of times it feels like oh we're just out there you know we're just moving our legs on the trail but I think that um we bring some peace to the world as well through um through that and that focus and Loving nature like we do is important in this day and age because um, we want to take care of these special places and we want to value them. And when you go out and you trail run, you know how important um, these places are. And, it, you know, it's, as the world grows and expands and evolves, it's more and more important, I think, to, to appreciate um, the outdoors and to keep it wild and to keep it free so that we can go out there, but the animals can go out there yeah. so that there's that, that for us. I mean, I, I think I'm not alone in worrying a little bit that if we're not careful, we'll destroy, you know, all these um, magical places that we have in these parks and, and all that. So hopefully we can bring um, more appreciation to that too through race directing and through running these races. Yeah, definitely. And I think, I mean, I, I, think you're doing a wonderful job with that so keep it up um i know you added another 200 mile race so <laughs> always <laughs> <laughs> so now instead of the triple crown i don't even know what you're gonna call it now any well, ideas so i will say that the triple crown the plan is to keep the triple crown the triple crown okay um because it's three months consecutive 200 oh, yeah. milers yeah, so I think that'll always stay that, and I'll keep adding races. It's what I do <laughs> as I expand. That's awesome. Um, and so, yeah, yeah. So we'll keep the triple crown. I want to be able to have those records mean something, and for people to be able to go out and set uh, the records. And I think at at some point, um, you know, we'll add another, you know, point to point two hundred. But it's going to be a different time of the year. And and I was actually just talking to. 
a friend about that. I was like, am I going to make this a grand slam or will it be the triple? And I think we'll always just keep the triple, That's you know, awesome. because, and yeah, yeah. That way people, I mean, how many people are going to do four or five? You know what I mean? I mean, like, I feel like the, the, uh, the community you're creating way more than you they think. Will. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> who am I? Yeah. Who am I to talk? It's like, these people are like, when are you doing that 500? And like, I'm like, dude, you guys are more extreme than Wait, me. That was a joke. <laughs> that's okay. So if I remember correctly, I think it might've yeah. been like April 1st, you put out a post and it was just a route across the United States. And oh yeah. I won. I'm so gullible anyways, but I 100% believed it. I was like, here she goes. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, if, I'm like the only person that could do that and everybody would believe me. Yeah. I, I was, I was like, yeah. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> You're like, uh, of course, like yeah. you have to top yourself every year. Don't That's you? Awesome. That's awesome. Well, Candace, where can people, uh, if they aren't following your, your stuff already, where can they kind of like follow along with your adventures? Um, for mine personally, um, I, I do most of my daily stuff on Instagram at run Candace run. Um, but then they can always go to my website. It's just Candace com. Awesome. Yeah. And then for the races, you just go to destination trail com. We're on Instagram and, and we're on all the platforms. We've always felt like those, it's important to interact that way, but, um, probably just google it too <laughs> cool awesome well candace i mean i we could have you on the podcast a billion more times and probably not get all the stories out of you so we'll have to reconnect at some point in the future for sure i always enjoy being on the podcast um <laughs> and <laughs> revisiting with you so i guess the real question is when are you doing your first 200 you know i i've been peer pressured a lot by people <laughs> um <laughs> And I wanted to ask, I guess, I guess we'll do one last question then because here's the, here's the biggest concern. Okay. And I want them to hear this from the race director. So you've seen more people at the end of a 200 miler or in the middle of it or whatever, right. Than like anyone else. So tell my parents what a 200 miler really is like, because I feel like if I was like, Hey mom and dad, I signed up for a 200 miler. They would be like, you did what now? And they'd freak out. And it's weird for a 32 year old man to really be that concerned, but, but still, I don't want to worry him, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you are a good person. You're a very good person. (laughs) I, I, I think that that's just, you know, yeah. Another indication, um, of, of your kindness and and care for the people around you. But, um, (laughs) I, I think that you could you could probably um, allay their fears in that I would explain it as yeah it's a 200 mile ultra um, but it's more of like a tour of the area so and, and I encourage people to think of it this way too um, especially like wh- why go into a 200 trying to be competitive from the start like yeah some of us just do that um, but you know, go into it as just open to the experience. And so I would explain it to them as in, um, you know, I have four days to do this. So it's basically like, you know, there's sleep stations, there's amazing um, aid stations with, 
you know, food, all, any kind of food I might want, you go into it and be like, let's see, what do I feel like? Uh, how about I'll have a burrito, I'll have double-decker hamburger, I'd like soup, um, I think I'll have juice and tailwind, you know, like we have it all. So it's like you could tell them, you know, the aid stations are amazing, they could even come crew you and yeah. meet people and make friends or volunteer. <laughs> yeah. But I think that see, just seeing it as, as more of a, a multi-day experience um, that's broken up, even if you aren't getting as much sleep as you would with a multi-day race, um, part of that is the fun of it, you know, that you get to take those four days and push it a little. Yeah. So yeah. it's very doable very doable totally uh, yeah okay so the answer to your question is me avoiding the question but uh we'll see <laughs> <laughs> we'll see for sure so thank you for coming i believe you said next year <laughs> we'll see i got a, a uh a, a crazy texan named thomas mullins who uh is is, is oh is, yeah i know him oh okay sweet so he's in he's like i want to do moab in 2021 and i'm like oh dude and you know yeah yeah so you got this <laughs> awesome well yeah. thank you thanks for coming on the show okay this yeah thanks for having me yeah all right guys that wraps up the show uh candace once again thank you so much for for uh for sharing your your stories and your advice and your mindset and really just a fun conversation um for the show this week uh always appreciate having you on the podcast and Best of luck for 2020. I know it's going to be an insanely busy year for her. She's actually about to go out and run the Hurt 100. So I think everyone listening and we all can root her on. And, you know, it's always kind of fun to watch these watch, quote unquote, but like go on Twitter <laughs> and follow these ultra runs. Uh, it's more fun when you actually, you know, have someone you're rooting for. So definitely go out and get them. I hope you crush it. Um and yeah, if you're out there listening, like I said in the beginning, um, if you haven't listened to the show before, this is a podcast we've been around for the last three years, over three years at this point. Um, it definitely has like an ultra running spin to it for sure. But I would also like what I've tried to intentionally do is include people who have done all sorts of other adventures. And really the idea here is we're, we're just talking about people who are who have a mindset to go out and have an adventure and have a mindset to go out and try to achieve a goal, uh, no matter how big, no matter how small, something that is meaningful to their lives. And, and I just love being a sponge and learning from all sorts of different athletes here because one part of my life that I really enjoy is being an athlete. You know, I, you always have, you're busy, right? And I think Candace and I talked a little bit about that at the beginning. You have all sorts of different hats you're putting on. And for me, you know, I have like, I'm a teacher, I'm a father, I'm a husband. Um, but one hat I also like to include is, is being an athlete because it allows me to go out and have an adventure. And it also allows me to achieve a tangible goal because I love being a dad. I love being a dad, but the one thing that is really difficult with it is the goal is that your kids grow up to be great people and you don't really get to see the results of that for years and years and years, right? And obviously you see the results every day because you get to hang out with your kids and you know they're wonderful and like bring like little warmth and butterflies 
to you <laughs> because they're the best. But, you know, the end, end goal is that they have lead a successful life and they're happy. And and you have to just remind yourself every day what you're working towards. Um, whereas in an adventure, if my end goal is to go out and climb a mountain, you know, I can go out and get that done in like a day, you know, and you get those results uh, a little bit quicker and you get the lessons from that adventure that you're able to apply in the other aspects of your life. And I think for me, that's been the most meaningful uh, pursuit in all of this, all of this ultra running stuff and endurance sports and and also with the podcast. It's it's I'm learning lessons here that I'm able to apply to the more important things in my life, um, like my family and my friends and things like that. So, uh, all right, that'll wrap up this week's show. Um, go back, check out Like a Bigfoot podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you guys find podcasts. Um, be sure to uh, check out Candace's adventures. Um, you can find her at Run Candace Run and Destination Trails um, for all of that. And, you know, look up some stories from the Bigfoot 200 or the Tahoe or the Moab or the Triple Crown and be inspired because these stories from here are the epitome to me of of an epic adventure. So uh, definitely go and check those out. And uh, yeah, we'll be back at you guys next week. Uh, we'll talk then. <laughs>